0: Lifestyle matters, it's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelian, my co-host here, the guy with the most boringest socks. Uh Oh, yeah. Boring, boring socks, Dave Popovich, how are you doing? Well, good, nothing exciting today, it's too cold. I am so disappointed in you. Normally, Popovich comes in with the most interesting socks out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Get ready. Sometime, oh, Bang. Get out of here. Look at it? those socks. What is it? I, I got my you. hockey socks on. Oh, okay. All right. Got, some special reason for that today? Eh, no, I was doing what I could find in the All dark. Right.
1: <laughs> that, fits you, uh, that, that, that fits your interests for sure.
0: All right. Mr. Plain Socks. Mm-hmm. Just black. Boring. Black, yep. Markets and uh, the economy wasn't so boring this week.
1: No, it was um, surprisingly good. But when I say that, some of the economic data was not that strong. That it's weird, right? So we'll talk about that.
0: Not that strong. So,
1: like, look at manufacturing. Bad was bad, bad was, was good, good for the markets. Yeah, it can be confusing for people for a bit here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about that. But we also are going to talk uh, uh, today about uh, you know resilience in your retirement. Um, we, this is a terrific segment because people. I was I was driving in to work on Friday morning, having a conversation with a client. The client says to me, uh, "I said, how are you doing in retirement?" He says, "I'm still learning." Well, that's an interesting comment, isn't it? People think that you just quit work and you're retired. No, 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 no. It's more than that. It's a change, and often a very big change, and that change requires resiliency. We want to help people prepare for that.
0: You know what's a big change as well? What? Buying a place overseas for retirement. Absolutely. How about the top 10 destinations you can buy for 2024? Love it. Not just affordability, but a whole bunch of other criteria we're going to find out what that criteria is and...
1: And stick around for Faisal's destination to find oh, out which destination yeah. that I'll is. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you it's where on the I'd list. love to be.
0: Especially <laughs> okay. in this weather where I'd love to be. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly right.
1: Okay, well, let's go back to the markets conversation, Faisal. It was, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting week of data. We've got inflation data. We've got GDP data. We've got manufacturing data. Uh, you know, and they're all... Uh, it's an interesting story that they tell. Um, let's start with inflation data. Because the buildup to Thursday's release of, uh, of the PCE inflation data in the United States was really quite palpable. So I was reporting all week this week on the news, and you could just feel the market's anxiety and apprehension ahead of that particular data. Yep. Nobody seemed to be wanting to making big moves. If they were making moves, they were de-risking, selling ahead of that particular data set for fear that it was going to be stronger than expected. And why? Because the trend over the last little while has been stronger than expected. Inflation data. Doesn't mean inflation hasn't been trending down, but it's been stronger than expectation. And then on Thursday, what do we get? Right on the money. Right on the money. Market was confused about that. No, I shouldn't say that. I mean, what happened is it immediately uh, markets uh, moved positive when the news broke uh, on a pre-market basis. But I can tell you they were confused. What do we do now? It's not stronger. It's not weaker. It's still a little bit, it's still higher at 2.8% higher than what the Federal Reserve wants to see, but it's as expected. And we didn't get that surprise hotter than expected. Now, markets ultimately decided this was a a good news story, and not a bad news story, but it was an interesting reaction.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you step on the scale, Mm -hmm. you kind of know what your weight is, you step on the scale, you see the number, and you're like... Yeah, I thought so, but ah oh, it's right. that number. Right. You know, that's how it kind of felt. Yep. That was right? the initial reaction. That right? was the sentiment in the market. So then you realize, oh, I can just take off hey, I didn't gain weight. I can take off these <laughs> ugly socks and <laughs> I can right. save I can save half a pound. Yeah. Uh, right? right like that kind of thing. So so I think that's where we are right now. We're we're just stepping on the scale, looking at the number. We know what the number is, we have a feeling what the number is. We may not like the number, right, but it's the number.
1: Right. And a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> Right? We didn't get heavier this week. Okay, good. Well, what about what about Canadian GDP? Well, we're not talking about you specifically.
0: <laughs> I, I, I got heavier <laughs> this week. What about Canadian GDP? GDP numbers looking um interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, from the experience of the GDP numbers, here's what I have a problem with. It's not fully clean in the metric of exactly where the, the GDP growth is coming from. In Canada. In Canada. Yeah. Because we there is a couple of external variables that kind of swing the data more so when you have 500,000 people moving to the country right. it's going to swing the data to a certain way right um but our exports are down which also impacts gdp numbers yep. and anybody saw that the price of oil has been down which also impacts our export numbers so our net exports is showing a decline right so that slows down the economy but not a recession
1: well in fact we got better than expected news on Canadian economic performance from a headline perspective. Th- that's right?
0: that's the masking I'm referring to. Yeah. The you bring in half a million people, yeah. you're going to have some stimulus.
1: And, yeah, and so so this is actually interesting. Uh, so just so people know, the as from a market wrap up perspective, the Canadian economy in the fourth quarter grew one uh, percent uh, on December. It matched expectation two tenths of one percent. But the third quarter, which was a negative one point one. So we were at risk of having a technical recession in Canada. We didn't get it. And in fact, the third quarter got revised better from a 1.1% to a negative 0.5%. So the Canadian economy is stronger than expected. To your point, we've got a lot of new Canadians. So when you dig under the surface of that, sometimes there is, well, there's some evidence to suggest that on a per capita basis, right, our economic performance is actually falling. Bingo. And it'll be interesting to see how the Bank of Canada deals with that.
0: And it's not like our productivity is getting better. No. So per capita basis of, of GDP down productivity not as strong so there's some concerns yep. in canada yep. now does that matter to the world the stock market not really
1: yeah
0: right only if you're investing in companies who are 100% or primarily dependent on the canadian economy right. then yeah you've right. got you've got some concern in your portfolio yeah but to the global market yeah not important
1: yeah not an issue uh, but it is nice to say that we at least weren't in a recession in Canada, because some countries did in the last half of last year. Here, in here's recession. what I've
0: been saying now for a couple of years. Um, number one, no incumbent prime minister wants to go into an election mm-hmm. in a recession. Mm-hmm. Number two, what can really mess up the process of this interest rate increase is stimulus on the fiscal side. Right. Provincial or federal. Correct. Now, I'm not saying these programs are good or bad. I'm just talking about the programs being stimulative. When you have a dental plan for every, every Canadian practically, yep. in some form, and you're adding a whole bunch of more people that have access to that kind of care, it's stimulative. Yeah, because there's you, more spending taking when you have a place. Universal yep. pharma care. Yeah. It's stimulative. Right. You're going to hear, and this is my, my guess, based on all the information that I have, you're going to hear universal basic income being thrown around probably later on this year, if not early next year.
1: All right. We'll hold you to that one, and that, that'll be an interesting conversation.
0: That is super stimulative, disruptive, but super stimulative. Go back to the pandemic when everybody got Serb. Right. Yep. That was stimulative. Right. And if you're going to bring that back in, whatever the amount is, or however, it is a, it is a great political tactic to get elected, even though it may not come out the way that they're describing it. Right. But any type of fiscal stimulus while you're raising interest rates can be counterproductive. It may prevent us from getting into a recession, but that doesn't mean it's going to bring inflation down as quickly as the Bank of Canada would want.
1: Yeah. It is a bit of a slippery slope um, for all central banks right now. When is bad news, good news? When yeah. is bad news, good news? Well, when,
0: when, it, when it falls in your narrative.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, on Friday, got some, um, some data on uh, manufacturing in the United States. And uh, contrary to, well, the manufacturing sector has been in a recession, I would argue, globally for most countries. Um, and we got a little bit weaker reading in the United States than what was expected. And some of the prices, underlying price pressures, uh, were out too. So that, that's a good news story in the markets because it takes some of the pressure off the Federal Reserve. Um, with respect to their monetary policy. In Canada, we got the opposite. We actually got an improvement, right? And so there's going to be a difference, and you and I have talked about this. There's going to be a difference in the recovery of, Do does an economy go to recession, right? Japan and Germany, okay? In recession for the last half of last year, we we skipped it. U.S. is not even close. They're, they're still growing like crazy. There's going to be some differences now going forward about how different economies are uh, are uh, either slowing or Reaccelerating.
0: accelerating so generally speaking global pandemic hits the entire world from a, to a recessionary period after the pandemic generally speaking a global recovery right now is it all going to be the same in the same direction right we think not right so stay tuned for the next six seven months to find out which countries are going where and where the opportunities lie
1: uh Faisal, uh change is inevitable throughout life and when we go in you know from work to retirement when you start thinking about it and when you actually go through it It's a point of change. And that change can often create anxiety and stress and uncertainty. So
0: let let me paint the picture of some of the most common conversations we have with viewers and listeners of the show, with our clients. Let's paint the picture. Mm. We have an individual or a couple that are planning on retiring a few years out. They know that they're working right now. They know they have a date in mind of when they want to call retirement. But they really don't know what retirement's going to look like, mm-hmm. and that that transition, that change, um, can be scary. Yep. Um, it requires thought. Some people like to, I call, hedge their bets. Mm-hmm. They like to transition to uh, to what we call retirement, but still have an. Oh, again, use the word anchor to what they have been for. Uh, consultants in this city are huge for yep. this. I'm going to reduce the number of hours. I just want to be engaged, but still kind of anchor to that work life. Yep. And then I want to have retirement. I kind of want to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. And it's hard to have that kind of transition or change if that does come up. Yep. And so let's talk about resiliency and let's talk about change and let's talk about the fear of all this. But we, we you and I can't just do this alone. We need an expert, of
1: course. That's right. We do. So we've got Dr. Robin uh, Hanley-Defoe. an educator, an author, and a resiliency expert. Robin, welcome to the show.
2: I'm glad to be here. Thank you, gentlemen.
1: All right. So I think we've done a decent setup there, at least in in our understanding of change and the anxiety. So we're going to throw it to you right away. Um, As people are thinking about this point in time of retirement, which is a change, a big change for many people, um, it does create those emotions around anxiety. And I imagine there's, you know, you've got some thoughts being a sort of a change in a a resiliency expert about what we might want to be aware of as we're going through this.
2: Yeah, excellent question. So I think the reality is to acknowledge that any change season or any type of a transition by the very nature is going to make people feel a wee bit wobbly, make people feel like not quite sure. Again, that uncertainty starts to become more apparent. And what's really, I think, important to recognize is that that is a normal response to any type of a change because we haven't done this before. We almost go back to a rookie status of like, hey, we haven't done this before. I don't know what this is going to look like. And the reason it's almost as if our bodies and our minds go on high alert is because change forces us to pay attention. It lets us know, hey, this is going to be different. We don't know all the rules. We don't know what this is going to look like. We don't have habits, patterns, and routines yet. So what it wants you to do is it gives you your full attention. And where we see people actually struggle more is when they try to ignore some of those anxieties. They They just think that they can outthink it and they don't put any efforts there versus holding space to recognize this uneasiness is actually my body letting me know that this is important. Pay attention and let's get to planning.
0: So Robin, there's there's um, some clients and people that we speak to that can crush this. They've gone to the transition. They've got it. It's very um, second nature to them. Then there's other ones who girl, there's a whole bunch of problems with these individuals. What are some of the traits that someone ha- needs to have Uh, in order for them to be quote unquote resilient.
2: One of the things that I would say, when you see somebody who seems to be able to do it effortlessly or with ease, they have done a lot of things building up to that moment. So that way they are well-equipped. They have good capacity. Now, usually, especially when we're talking about professional practice, one of the biggest ones is they see themselves outside of their identity of the job that they do or how they serve. So they're a person who happens to be an accountant. They're a person who happens to be an engineer or a doctor or whatever the role an educator, healthcare provider. They see themselves as a person first, who does a particular form of service, some type of professional practice. When we have that reverse, it's like when you introduce somebody and the first thing they do is they tell you they're a dentist. It's great. I want to know what else is about you. So again, just recognizing where we anchor that sense of security and identity. So first one is that idea of being that person who does something. We would argue that those are people who transition because there's more room in their identity or the definition of who they are and what they're all about. The other is that they often have a really strong home team this home base of persons who again help them see themselves as more of just this one particular role and again when people transition out of those identity places that's where we start to see like they experience some friction
0: Mm -hmm. Robin anecdotally in our practice Dave you can probably confirm on this one Generally, it's the male clients of ours that have a bigger challenge, our female clients, not as much of Mm -hmm. a challenge And the is the empirical data match our anecdotal data that we have in our office.
2: Yes. Yeah. We would see that across the board. And and we do know that women that we have seen, again, there is research that shows that they tend to be a wee bit more flexible and more adaptable to change, given that they are always in this kind of place of change seasons as they go through their professional careers. They've been able to multitask versus a lot of persons, unfortunately, will monotask or will only see themselves as, you know, this is who I am and this is what I do and, and don't actually carry some of the invisible labor that happens when you hold roles outside of your professional practice, which we know women tend to be the persons who hold a lot of the emotional labor and the invisible labor in their family systems and communities.
0: I like that word, invisible labor.
1: Yeah, and and Robin's saying exactly what we've seen, right? And women tend to have relationships and social connections outside of work. Men get so invested in their work and their identity and everything is tied to that, that when it goes, right? It's like Robin is saying, there's nothing... I'm not a person. I am this, right? It's not a full person. That's very interesting. I am curious, though, see if we can help our our male listeners. So, can <laughs> can it actually be learned?
2: Absolutely. That's what's really remarkable about um, the human spirit and the human condition is that we are very adaptable. And often, when people say things to me like, "Oh, Robin, change is scary," what I actually think is more scary is not changing. Like, could you imagine being stuck in time and you aren't able to have any agency to reinvent yourself, to reimagine what's possible? So absolutely, when we practice what we call that nimble thinking versus that brittle thinking, it's a starting point to start seeing ourselves as our ability to contribute beyond just our professional roles. And we can do that by, again, essentially like walking into that unknown and getting really curious about like, what are things that I find of interest? What are those hobbies? What are those activities? How can I find myself in these different places and spaces. And one of the transitional tools that I find really helpful, especially working with, um, again, the male population as they're going into retirement is, is opportunities to give back, ways of being of service, being able to be in the role of a mentor. So you can stay kind of that foot in the door within the professional practice that is familiar to you, but you're doing it in such a way about giving people, you know, your hard earned wisdom also starts to help create conversation and seeing what's possible outside of the traditional roles.
0: Robin, we have about a minute or so left before we have to go to break. Uh, Let's give all of our our listeners and viewers top three tips Robin has to be more resilient as you go through this transition?
2: Number one is cope ahead of time. Okay. So making sure that you cope ahead of time, don't wait for it to happen and then try to recover. So make a plan. We always feel better when we have a plan, even if the plan changes, having a plan is starting, is going to make us feel a lot better in that. So cope ahead of time. Number two is you're not alone. Actually have conversations with people in similar seasons, maybe two years ahead of you, two years behind you and start just having those conversations. Be like, like, hey, what was this experience like from you? People love to talk about themselves. So getting people to talk about themselves, to tell them like, hey, this is how I stick handled it and this is what worked, what didn't work. So tap into the resources around you. And the third one is just like, it's just a decision at a time. We don't have to figure out the entire staircase. It's just the first step. So you don't have to figure out what are my next, you know, 30 years going to look like, 40 years going to look like literally what is important in this quarter that I need to do to be successful personally and professionally so I can transition with a relative degree of ease.
1: Three solid, solid ideas right there.
0: I well, want thank you so much, Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe, educator, author, and resiliency expert. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Take good care.
1: One of the things, Faisal, that everybody dreams about is either travel or even better, living overseas or living internationally, right? Get away from the cold winters.
0: Yeah, especially now, this weekend. <laughs> exactly. It reminds
1: way. you. Yeah, you might want to be somewhere. So we horrible.
0: have, you know, in our hands, the top 10 retirement destinations for 2024. Um the first question that normally comes to us is how the heck do they get this list? Yeah. You know, all What's the, work the criteria they do. Right? What's the criteria? Yeah. And and how easy is it as Canadians right. to live abroad? We we're not gonna get into the tax situation. And we're not gonna get into into that. We're gonna talk about lifestyle and enjoying those areas. Right. But you and I are not the experts in that area.
1: Nope, but Kathleen Petticourt is. She's the founder and the CEO of Live and Invest Overseas. Kathleen, welcome to the show.
3: Hello, you guys. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe let's start exactly where what Faisal can, said.
0: Can we tease everybody? Let's, oh, you want to? You want to? Let's talk do a little bit this? of a tease of okay. uh, number ten, nine, and eight, and then go into how we got the criteria. Oh, okay. You're okay with that? Oh yeah, sure. Kathleen, business. let's go right into it. Number ten, Santa Mara. Uh, Santa Mara, yeah. Santa Mara, Colombia. Tell us a little bit more about Santa Mara and the other two. Uh, well, above that, number nine and number eight on the list
3: i'm going to let you read off the list because i don't have it in front of me and i don't have it committed to memory but i will say santa marta colombia is a great caribbean beach choice and it's a very affordable caribbean beach choice cartagena colombia is better known santa marta is just up the coast from there it's the same you know quintessential white sand palm tree lifestyle with a colonial city right you know providing that level of comforts and amenities and history and culture But it's super affordable. A couple could live there on $1,500 a month or less.
0: Let's take on uh, Phuket or Phuket, depending on how you pronounce it, Thailand.
3: Phuket, Thailand is another beach option. Uh, Again, really affordable. So... one main criteria, of course, for all these choices is budget. So Phuket is a top choice for someone who wants something a little more exotic because it's in Southeast Asia. So it's not a quick hop like Colombia could be, for example. You could, you know, commute back and forth. Southeast Asia is a trip. But if you're up for it, a big adventure and something exotic, a little outside your comfort zone, it's an awesome place to live at the beach.
0: Let's make our way up to Belize. Let's pick out over there. What brought Belize under the, under the list?
3: Belize is one of my all-time favorite places to spend time. Belize is a tiny country. Language is English, which is a big plus. Uh, for such a tiny country, it offers a diversity of lifestyles. So it's got Caribbean islands just off its mainland shore. It's got a couple of mainland coastal place, uh, destinations that have a lot to offer for lifestyle if you want coastal living. But my favorite part of Belize is inland. It's called Cayo, which is in the mountains. It's a It's a region of Rivers and Mayan ruins and rainforest. It's someone who wants a real outdoorsy life, sunshine year-round, great weather. A uh, great place for kind of going off-grid. Great place for growing things. It's it has a it's kind of the breadbasket of Belize and a breadbasket of the region.
0: All right. Now that we got the little tease out of the way, people mm-hmm. are wondering how did these make the list. So let's go there first. Now, Kathleen, where how did how did you get to the top ten list uh, for 2024?
3: Exactly, it's very hard because you're spoiled for choice. Once you begin looking beyond your own borders for retirement or even making a move like this earlier on in your life, oh my gosh, there are more than 200 countries and within each country, many, many tempting options in many cases. So how do you choose? we have broken it down. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. So based on 40 years of experience covering this beat and 26 years of personal experience as an American living abroad, first in Ireland, then France, now Panama, we and all of my editors, likewise, are expats themselves living this lifestyle. Based on that real world experience, we've come up with 14 categories of criteria that we think are... to give you you know, guidelines, because you do need help making a choice, you really are spoiled for choice. Cost of living, as I mentioned, is going to be top for most people. Many people start this line of thinking in the first place because they're looking to reduce their cost of living. They're, they have a budget and they want to stretch it as far as they can, especially at the retirement stage of life. Then climate. As you guys mentioned at the opening, this time of year, it's on everybody's mind. Oh my gosh, get me away from this snow. I can't take this snow and cold anymore. So climate is a critical factor. Healthcare, really important of course for all people, but especially retirement age. Entertainment and recreation, because what are you gonna do when you get there? English spoken, as I said, one of the main uh, selling points for Belize is the language is English and not everyone, especially in retirement age, is up for learning a new language expat community is there one for you to connect to or are you going to be really going it on your own and and paving the way yourself which can be hard work how local do you want to go is an important question to ask yourself infrastructure especially if you're interested in starting a business or if you want to keep up business or investment activities in the place where you're moving from you need good infrastructure right <clears throat> environmental factors Crime that's critical, and I will say that for every place on our index, every year, you can take for granted that it's safe. That it's it it's not a question of relatively how safe is it, but we would not recommend a place or include it on our index if there was any fear for you know for your safety, for your personal safety. Real estate restrictions are sorry, I'm almost finished. There are just two more. real estate restrictions is the purchase of real estate restricted for foreigners? residency, if you want to stay full-time indefinitely, what are your options to become a legal resident? And then taxes, and you guys referenced this one, and we put it last because it it shouldn't drive the conversation or be the reason you make a decision, but for sure you want to factor it in.
1: So, you know, Faisal, one of the things, when when I talk to people uh, about retiring and adding an international destination, there's a romance attached to it, uh, but not necessarily a practical practical experience related to it. So, Kathleen, I'd love to get your feedback, your tips for somebody who has been through it, who's interested. Uh, you know, perhaps hasn't uh, lived overseas or internationally. What should they do in preparation for this journey that they're going to take if they decide living abroad is is part of their uh, part of their journey?
3: Uh, it'll, it might seem unlikely, but I I advise people to start by taking inventory of yourself and your your likes and dislikes, your wants, your priorities. Know yourself is how I put it. And again, that might seem like an unlikely starting point. But if you aren't clear on who you are and what you're looking for, what you want your life to be, then how are you going to find a place overseas to make that life dream come true? So it starts with a lot of introspection. And I recommend doing it formally. And if you're making a move with someone, a, a spouse, a partner, <clears throat> a friend, even, uh, do this. Go through this exercise together. And again, go through it formally. We publish a list of questions on our website, Know Yourself Questionnaire, and so you know questions to do with all these categories. I just rattled off very quickly, but you know the practical things like budget, of course. But then the things that are much more personal, like culture and recreation. What what qualifies having fun to you? How do you want to spend your time? How important is weather and what qualifies as good weather for you? That, that's a very, you know, very subjective idea. And then ask yourself, what do you definitely want in your new life? And what makes you crazy? What do you hate about your current life? And what do you definitely not want to reinvent or, or import with you in your new life?
0: We have about a minute left, Kathleen. Unfortunately, we have to go to commercial break, but we've got to give our top three at least. Mm-hmm. Let's start with number three. I think this was will be my favorite one. Yep. Mazatlan, Mexico.
3: Mazatlan is a great beach choice with a colonial city married to it. So you're living in a great, developed, comfortable city right on the beach and very affordable. All three of these top three are super affordable. A couple could retire here on 2000 a month or less.
0: Look at that. Braga, Portugal. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, this Portugal has become more expensive in recent years because it's become so popular. But Braga is still a little known part of Portugal. And Portugal in general checks all the boxes on a retirees checklist of what what an ideal retirement could look like. And Braga, which is in the north of the country, is still off the radar and therefore more affordable.
0: Never thought this would hit number one kind of a rival to one of my favorite soccer teams in the country, <laughs> Valencia, Spain.
3: Yeah, Spain is even more affordable than Portugal. So Spain kind of wins as the top destination from a cost of living factor for Europe. So if you want old world continental lifestyle, for some people, you know, uh, the tropics won't cut it. The developing world is not what they want. They want cultured. Old world living. I would say look to Spain if you're on a budget and Valencia is just it's it's everything you want in an old world city. And it's still very accessible because it's not huge. It's not so big that you can't take it in. You can't. It's a very walkable city. It offers all the culture, all the history that you could want, the cafe culture, etc. And you can enjoy it every day just on your doorstep.
0: And there you go, some of the top spots for 2024. If you want more information, if you want to get some, some ideas, mm-hmm. even if you want to do the questionnaire, reach us at our website. We'll connect you uh, with, uh, with o- Live and Invest Overseas. Uh, that's the place that we, we go to for our, our information, so you might want to definitely do that as well. Reach out to us at more than money we do
1: We do a financial plan for every single client. Can a financial plan, if it's done or used inappropriately, actually ruin a person's retirement?
0: I think the financial planning side has a lot to look forward to in regards to tweaking what it's the u- utilization of that plan. Yeah. let's start off with giving our, our our listeners a bit of a overview of how this industry and how Canadians are. Yeah. first of all, recent research coming out of fidelity, less than. Half the percent of the population have a written financial plan. It's closer to 30%. Yes. Okay. That means majority of Canadians don't have a financial plan in written form that they refer to. Okay. So they're, they're already starting on hope. That's gotcha. right. Hope it works out. Yeah. Or they might have a plan in their head, but as for execution and process, not there. Let's focus on the ones who get a financial plan. A financial plan generally talks about some key things like where are you now, where you want to be when you reach that goal, let's say retirement, how much do you need to deposit or save to get to that point, and what kind of rate of return and assumptions on inflation and taxes are you going to put into play. Yes. And then let's measure this plan against how things are going. And they're using this financial plan in the most deconstructive way (laughs) that I've ever seen in history. When they started off putting financial plans in the industry for those who don't pay for just the plan, they were using this as a sales tool to provide product to the individual. Right. And When I say they, I'm speaking of the industry collectively in aggregate, not everybody, but generally speaking. Right. So they're trying to say, come to me, I'll put a financial plan in front of you, and then you can buy our product to match that plan. Right. So they were trying to sell the product. Now we're coming into the point where people are doing planning, and they're using this as if it was a, a futuristic reading of how the world is going to be for them going forward, yep. and that's what they have to follow.
1: Well, a GPS, right? It's a, these are exact coordinates. Nothing will change over the next 30 years. This is exactly how it's going to go.
0: Correct. With a little bit of fortune telling.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
0: a GPS a GPS tells you no exactly the dir- the direction right. and tells you the coordinates, but it doesn't make up stuff. No,
1: and and it I doesn't
0: would... say there might be exactly. a problem, and it doesn't tell you over every situation what could possibly go wrong. Correct. Correct. And so, what happens, or what's being missed out in these plans, is we call it stress testing. And we look at ways that this happens over every market condition over the past 100 years, good years, and terrible years. And so when a person puts a financial plan together, and let's make up some numbers, the plan says you need a 6% rate of return. Right. And don't worry, Mr. Popovich, the S&P 500 has done over 6% over any 10-year period in history on average. Right. You're fine. Right. Okay. So now you've sold the product, the S&P 500 index. Right. That's the product being sold. You feel confident because you got something in writing that says all you need is 6%, and this does 6%. Yeah,
1: historically, I've got the data,
0: right? You know what I have never seen in a financial plan? How many times the can screw up on you?
1: Right. How many times? The, the S&P 500, as an example, just sticking with that, has been down 51%, peak to trough.
0: 51%. So that's a, can you use th- a handle the risk of it going down this much. Right. That's the first part. How many times has it not hit Correct. that rate of return that you're putting in an assumption in your GPS without telling you what the future is going to be?
1: Most people don't know that the average rate of return that gets published, almost never does the index do an average rate of return. It does plus or minus that in very
0: wide variations. That's why our industry in a financial plan puts in a number and then they use that number and they say, on average, this number. The plan does not say on average, you have to get that rate of return. And they're giving you random distributions of rate of return. They're saying you have to hit that number on average every single year. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. That's right. So what's the probability of that happening? Right. So failure number one, you want to mess up your retirement? Invest in a GPS that doesn't tell you where, the, where there's a lot of problems in the, uh, down the road.
1: Well, the GPS gives you the coordinate of the destination. But if you think your retirement experience is going to be straight line from here to there, in any way, shape, or form, including your financial performance, you've you're been, going to be disappointed.
0: You've been sold to. That's right. You've been sold to. Right. You haven't been educated. Right. You haven't seen the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. So that's problem number one of a destruction of what a financial plan can do. Number two, the plan, let's talk about retirement. Here's where you are in 2024. You want to retire in X, in X year in the future? Just do this and you'll get there. What the heck happens in between those points in time yep. and throughout retirement? Yes. Yep. When we sit down with clients and we go through what's the plan for the future? Yes, we're talking over the next 20, 30 years for sure. But what's happening over the next two, th- three, four, five years that can disrupt? That's right. People want to buy a car yep. in the middle of their retirement. Who thinks about that right. kind of stuff? That's crazy talk.
1: Gift to their kids, right? Kids need help.
0: This is normal human behavior right. in Canada. Why are we not accounting for this stuff? And what could actually help or hurt? It depends upon what your, your short-term objectives are for your long-term goal.
1: And listen, you're a certified financial planner. As a certified financial planner, Faisal, is there one set of numbers that should, well, a couple of things. Is there one set of numbers you should use in a financial plan to try to solve for every uh, question, every outcome that a financial plan can help a family with?
0: No. Right. It's not cookie cutter. Right. There is an approach that you look at and you say, based on the goal what are, what's the most likelihood? Now, I'll tell you what some of these new software financial <clears throat> plans are doing. Mm-hmm. They're putting in an asset allocation. Right. Okay. So, how much are you going to put in bonds, cash, stocks, which part of the world? Apparently, U.S. stocks have a certain rate of return, Canada, so on and so forth. So, they're assuming the index or some predicted number. Yeah. And based on your asset allocation, that's the rate of return. For the next 30 years of your life, by the way. Right. Um, what? Right. How many people stay to the exact same asset allocation throughout their lives? Number one. Correct. Number two, even if you dial down the asset allocation over time, how many people stick to that? You're investing in a lot of of, of a sales tactic versus investing in the proper way of, your, of dealing with your future.
1: Well, the plan doesn't, the plan, you know, you talked about the asset allocation. The plan doesn't dictate to you the structure of your investment portfolio in retirement. I mean, that's a number one failing, right? You're, you don't have a singular goal of growth anymore. This is why we have the four buckets. So there's a massive right. failing there. There's a massive failing if people don't understand that it is not a set and forget. You do a plan once and it's done. No, it's an actuarial uh, a plan. You need to update it on a regular basis. And Faisal, I want to go back to this, this comment. This, the thing you should be doing with a financial plan, if you're trying to answer the question, can I do this? do we have enough? Will I run out of money? Any of those questions. You want to use a conservative set of assumptions Correct. to put some stress on that plan to see where or if it breaks down. But if you're going to solve for a tax question, you don't want to understate some of those numbers. You want it more realistic because you want to understand the tax implications, right? Correct. It is a dynamic process and a dynamic and document. And it's
0: not a buy it now. Right. And and forget. It's about certainly not it. a sales document, is it? Correct, and that's how it's being utilized. I think that's wrong. I think there's an opportunity that people can actually um, learn from. So, number one, even though we're saying all this, please do not take the fact of not having a financial yep. plan.
1: We're advocates. We a we plan is better than
0: no plan. Correct. Step one. Yeah. Now, when you have a, it's like having a health plan. Having a health plan is better than no health plan. But if the health plan says you're going to just have to eat protein for the rest of your life. That's not accurate, there's a whole bunch of other things that need to happen in order to stay healthy through every phase of your future.
1: And that's correct, and don't, the financial plan will tell you whatever you want it to. If you put in 10% rates of return, okay, it can absolutely ruin your life because the probability of success at a 10% compounding over time is very
0: low. Welcome to a sales tool. So don't let the financial plan be a sales tool. So now you have to ask those types of questions. Take your financial plan. Reach out to us. We will poke holes in it. No obligation. Right. And we'll say, here are the, the risks that you have. Here are the opportunities. Here's what we like about it. Here's what you need to consider. No obligation. Right. Because I think this is very important for Canadians as they transition to, to retirement and they live through retirement, that things don't mess up. If you want to do that, just join us at our next seminar on March 5th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn or on March 19th in Lethbridge at the Sandman Signature Hotel, and you can register or send us your, your requests for a financial plan review at morethanmoneyradio.com.
1: Well, on behalf of Faisal myself, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition More Than Money on QR Calgary. We look forward to chatting with you next week.